Hello and welcome to another edition of St. Pete's on Repeat, the online sermon archive of St. Peter Lutheran Church in St. Albert, Alberta, Canada. This sermon was preached on August 28th, 2022. The continuation of our summer sermon series, Lord Teach Us to Pray, a focus on the Lord's Prayer. With this, taking up the final petition in that prayer, deliver us from evil. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, what would a world without evil look like? It'd be a paradise, a utopia, a modern-day Garden of Eden. Last week, we read a bit about the Garden of Eden, how the devil tempted Adam and Eve to sin, how Adam and Eve broke the only rule God had given them, how they gave in to temptation and tasted the forbidden fruit. This week, I want to read a bit about the fallout from that fall in to sin. This is where we left off last week. After Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. As we read through this section of scripture, I'd like us to keep a tally of the fallout from the fall in to sin. Do you see a consequence of their sin already here? Adam and Eve felt shame. They had never had low self-esteem or a negative body image before. They had never had selfish sexual thoughts about each other before. But now their eyes were literally opened to an entirely new spectrum of sin. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. What further fallout was there from Adam and Eve's fall into sin? They were afraid of God. Their relationship with God had begun to fracture, and it was entirely their fault. For the first time in their lives, they were not sure whether God would love them anymore. The rift between God and humans had begun. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. What further fallout was there from Adam and Eve's fall into sin? They began to blame each other. Their relationship as husband and wife, man and woman, began to fall apart, and they started to see each other as the enemy, or at the very least, a stumbling block. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Any further fallout from Adam and Eve's fall into sin? This is related to what we've seen already, but there's a lack of accountability. Adam and Eve were not willing to own up to their sin. They were far more eager to throw someone else under the bus and pass the buck than to take responsibility and repent and ask God for forgiveness. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals. 
You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What further fallout was there from Adam and Eve's fall into sin? Do you know what enmity is? It's hatred, conflict, considering someone else your enemy. God was saying that for the rest of human history, there would be severe spiritual warfare between the devil and humankind. They would never again enjoy the rest and peace they had known in the garden. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. What further fallout was there from Adam and Eve's fall into sin? Pain and childbearing. Ladies, mothers, can you imagine the unqualified joy of bringing a child into this world without pain? How amazing would that be? But there's more fallout here. God puts into words what Adam and Eve had already begun to show with their actions. Tension, discord, disunity between men and women, husbands and wives. I mean, we're still fighting the battle of the sexes today, and we still bandy about terms like militant feminism and toxic masculinity. There is still strife between man and woman, between husband and wife. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And finally, what further fallout was there from Adam and Eve's fall into sin? The ground was cursed. Thorns and thistles, problems with ecosystems and the climate, natural disasters, famines, floods, fires. Have you seen any of those in the news lately? There's more. What other fallout was there? Painful toil. Not work, let me be clear, work is not a curse. Adam and Eve had jobs to do even in the perfection of the Garden of Eden. But now, because of their sin, work would be a burden. Now, work would be exponentially more challenging and emotionally draining. All this, and we haven't even mentioned the worst of the fallout from the fall into sin, death. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam and Eve had been immortal. Had they not sinned, they would have lived in perfection, in paradise forever. But now, specifically because of their sin, they and every human who would follow them would die. So let's recap. What is the final tally for the fallout from the fall into sin? My notes have shame and shamelessness, 
broken relationships between God and mankind, between men and women, not to mention spiritual warfare with the devil, pain and childbearing, painful toil. The ground itself was cursed, and we are cursed to go to the ground in death. That's a lot of evil that did not exist before Adam and Eve fell into sin. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Even if no one else in the world ever committed another sin in human history, we would all still have to live in this fallout from the fall into sin. But you know as well as I do that Adam and Eve were not the only weak ones. Adam and Eve are far from the only sinners. You and I continue to give in to the devil's temptations. We continue to contribute to and compound the evil and the hurt in this world. We throw each other under the bus. We do not readily accept responsibility for our actions. We resent and we hurt each other. We hurt physically and emotionally and spiritually. We feel the curse of sin in our bodies and in this world, and we see it play out in our lives every day. Evil is all around us. Ours is not a utopia. It is a dystopia. We do not live in the Garden of Eden. That's why we pray, deliver us from evil. We've just spent nine and a half minutes discussing evil in all its forms. But I don't think it takes even half that amount of time to convince anyone that evil exists. The much more difficult task is to understand what God does about it. How does God answer our prayers when we ask him to deliver us from evil? There are a couple different Bible passages that give us some answers. Here's one from Psalm 91. That's probably what most of us are thinking when we pray this petition. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. What is one way that God can and does deliver you from evil? He keeps it from happening. Have you ever been in one of those situations where if that car had entered the intersection a split second sooner, you would have been roadkill? But it didn't, so you get to go on with the rest of your day with nothing but a bit of high blood pressure to show for it? That could have been one of those moments where God intervened in your life to deliver you from evil. And that's just the stuff we might know about. How many bad things could have happened to you throughout the course of your life but didn't because God was delivering you from them? It's impossible to know because they never happened. One way that God can and does deliver us from evil is by keeping evil from happening altogether. But sometimes bad things do happen. You get into that car accident. You get the diagnosis you were dreading. You break up, you get divorced, you lose your job, your family, your friends. Sometimes bad things do happen. Did God fail to answer our prayer or did he fail to deliver us from those evils? No. Because even when bad things do happen, we still have these promises from God. Like this one from Paul's letter to the Romans. And we know that in all things, 
God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. What does God promise to do for you even when evil things happen? He promises to use them for your good. That's a really difficult thing for us to understand and maybe even harder to accept. I mean, what good could possibly come from someone being near death in a hospital bed for two years? Lots of good, actually. Consider this promise elsewhere in Paul's letter to the Romans. We know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When our strength fails, God strengthens our faith. Without challenges in our lives, our faith in God can atrophy. But as we face adversity, as we endure evil in our lives, our faith in God's grace grows. Until we have a perseverance that can only come through suffering. Or you could think about what Paul says to the Corinthians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. What other good could possibly come from being near death in a hospital bed for two years? You could have an opportunity to witness your faith. To the person in the bed next to you, to the nursing staff and doctors who take care of you, to the family and friends who visit you, to the people who hear about you. Your suffering could actually mean someone else's salvation. I'd say that's something good that God could work out of evil. Sometimes God prevents evil from happening altogether. Other times, God works even evil for our good. But ultimately, the final deliverance from evil is something we've already heard. It's not just one of, it is the first fallout from the fall into sin that we heard explicitly from God in Genesis chapter 3. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed is the ground. Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What did we identify earlier as the fallout from the fall into sin from this passage? Enmity. This ongoing spiritual warfare with the devil. That's true, but God does not merely predict spiritual conflict. He declares a victor. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Who is the he in this passage? That's Jesus. The offspring of the woman sent to defeat the devil. That's Jesus. The Son of God sent to earth to win our salvation. If evil is only present in this world because of sin, then Jesus came not to put an end to war and usher in world peace, not to solve the problem of hunger, social injustice, or climate change, 
but to solve the problem of sin. And he did just that. Not by treating the symptoms, but by addressing the root cause. When Jesus died on the cross, he defeated the devil. The devil wants nothing more than for you to die and spend an eternity with him in hell. But when Jesus died on the cross, he gave you eternal life with him in heaven. The devil wants to tempt you to sin and then heap endless accusations against you so that you fear God the way that Adam and Eve did. When Jesus died on the cross, he not only forgave your sin, he showed you how much God loves you despite your sin. All the evil that is present in this world exists because of sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he put sin in its place and gave us the hope of a future without sin or any of its fallout. We hear this prophecy from the book of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Think about how many of the consequences of sin, think about how many of the evils that we tallied up earlier find their resolution here. Cursed is the ground because of you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God's dwelling place is now among the people. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. There will be no more death. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Through painful toil you will eat your food. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain. For every problem that sin presents, there is an answer in Jesus. For every evil present in this world because of sin there is perfection and peace in heaven. The ultimate way that God answers this petition, deliver us from evil, is by securing a future for you in heaven by Jesus' death on the cross. Of course, God willing, for many of us, heaven is still many years away. But we don't have to wait for God to answer this prayer. We know that God does intervene in our lives in the meantime. Some evils he keeps from happening altogether. The other evil things that do happen in life, he works for our good. And because of those promises, we can have two things that both start with the letter H that will enable us to endure any evil until he takes us home. As the psalmist says in Psalm 146, Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. What two things has God given you that enable you to endure evil in your life? He's given you help and hope. He is your deliverer from many evils in your day-to-day -day life 
but above all, he's your Savior, who gives you the hope of heaven through his Son, who taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. Amen.